scripture reading this morning is taken from the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and I'll be reading verses 1 through 8. I'll be reading from the New American Standard Version for the reading this morning. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge and If I have a faith that is all-encompassing so that I'm able to remove mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned but do not have love, it really doesn't profit me anything. For love is patient, love is kind, and is not jealous does not brag and is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own, is not provoked very easily, does not take into account a wrong that was suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices rather in truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, and Paul would say these three words at the beginning of verse number eight, love never fails. Church, if you don't mind, just help me this morning while we encourage each other from this text, look to the neighbor next to you and say to them, let's go higher. Let's go higher. Let's go higher. You may go ahead and have your seats. You may go ahead and have your seats. Let's, let's go higher. I want to say right here and right now at the beginning of this encouragement that love, or I should more accurately say the love of God is the most powerful and potent force in all of the world today as we know it. As you think about what this godly love does and is doing, I want us to appreciate some some things about this love. It, It was God's love that freely gave the best of heaven and himself to save a wretch like you and me. It was that love that compelled Jesus to give himself as a sacrifice on the cross of Calvary. It was God's love that met us in our sin, and it was God's love that met us in our brokenness. It's God's love, church, that looks past our flaws and looks past our flesh. It's God's love that looks past our limitations. It's it's God's love that picks us up and and turns us around and, and places our feet on solid ground. God's love meets us in our pain. It meets us in our distresses. It meets us in our anxieties. It meets us in our guilt. It meets us in, 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 in our grief. God's love gives us the strength to overcome. 
So when I say this love, this godly love is uh, the greatest force in all the world, I want us to appreciate that. I, I say force because this is a power that surpasses all of human understanding and comprehension. It encompasses all of who Jehovah is. This love that I'm referring to is more than just an emotion, it's a state of existence. Uh, it, it is more than just uh, a motivation, it is, it, it, is, it is also the entirety of the motive. It is more than just a word that's expressed verbally, it's an action that we take on a day-to-day -day basis. It's not just something we say, but it's also something that we do. It's more than just a feeling that gives us goosebumps, it's a character and a characteristic that's at the core of a godly identity. So when I think about this, this reality of love, I want us to approach this from the standpoint of not just the frivolous uh, explanation of love, but looking at love, charity, agape type love, unconditional love through the lens of scripture. This love that I'm referring to and Paul is talking about transcends the familial bond between blood relatives. This love transcends the romantic connection between sweethearts or darlings, if you would. This love transcends the ties that binds in our friendships and our partnerships and our circles. This love is unconditional and a reality or state of mind and existence that firm, that's firmly rooted in the knowledge of God and the transformative power of the Holy Spirit. In, in, in other words, if I have to sum up that last one up in, in just a neat little ball, in a neat little saying, it's this. This is no ordinary type of love. I, 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 wish, I wish you would be with me where I am right now because I'm, I'm not talking about, you know, the, the love that a boy has for a girl or a girl has for a boy. I'm, I, I'm not talking about the love that we claim to have for our siblings. I'm, I'm not talking about the love that a father has for his son or a son has for his father. I'm, I'm not talking about the love that we have necessarily just for people that do us right. I need for us to understand this type of love I'm talking about is a love that's a transformative type of love that's rooted in the identity and character characteristic of God himself. So when God says, I am love, this type of love he is calling us to display is not any type of ordinary kind of love. This, this love breaks barriers. This, this love breaks chains. This, this love transforms us into a way that the world that we were a part of and God pulled us out from no longer recognizes us because we have been changed because of this love. So I need for us to see how powerful and how potent this, this love is. This, this is the same love that turned the world at one point upside down. And Paul right now is encouraging the brethren to understand that it's the same love that has the power in this instance to, to turn this church in Corinth right side up. The same love that was able to confound the masses and confound the religious leaders of the day. The same love that was used for a handful of people to turn the then known world inside out and upside down is the same love Paul is, is, is leaning on uh, for a church that has lost some of its identity for a church that's struggling with its identity. And Paul says, I need for us to lean on love. 
The reason why you could lean on love, church. If, if we've been there and if we have done that, you understand that love, if, if we just use the word love any old way, you understand that love is, is that thing that, that makes us act some type of ways sometimes. Love, love will make a shy person do things the likes of which they would have never thought they could have done. Love will make you, who have never been a poet before, become a poet. You guys watch me. Let me not put anybody on the spot. So let me just pick on Tim. <laughs> Tim, all of a sudden, love is going to do this thing in you to where you do things for the person that you have eyes for in a crowd and you don't care about what they say because your focus is not on them, your focus is on her. So when you kneel and you do something silly or foolish that they might laugh at, you don't care because love is compelling you to move some type of ways. Love will make a person that stutters become the most uh, affluent and, and most eloquent person in the entire world. You, you ever realize that when you're in love, and I know you get nervous sometimes, but when you're in the groove with it, you know what I mean? When, when it's taken a hold of you, I, I, I'm telling you, love will, love will turn you into some type of person your your voice just got a little bass in it your your your, your hips just had a swing a little bit you know, you know what I'm talking about love will make you do some type of things it will make you act some type of ways as a matter of fact it will often make you act sometimes out of your character and so what what Paul is doing here is he is he is encouraging these brethren to lean not just on these other forms of love but lean on the godly type of love. This is a love that's transformative. Say transformative. This is a love that's informative. Say informative. This is a love that will, that will turn you into uh, the very image and likeness of the creator himself. Watch this, watch this, watch this. Be, be, before we get to chapter number 13 where our text is taken, Paul really is addressing a church that is full of spiritual gifts. But in as much as they are full and filled with spiritual gifts, they are lacking in spiritual understanding. I, I, I need for us to understand this because we could, we could have the look and have all the tools that we need, but if we don't know how to use those tools, it's dangerous in the hands of the wielder. So Paul is addressing a church as he makes his way into chapter number 13. Yes, I know we could read this, love is this and love is that and love is the other. But if we don't frame all of verses 1 through verse number 8 within the context of what Paul is trying to do, then when he says love believes all things, is that necessarily true, Paul? Does love really believe all things? There are some things that are true and some things that are false. So is he saying, when he says love believe all things, is he saying that love's even, love even believes that which is false? No, no, no. There is a context to which Paul is writing these words. And I need for us to appreciate the context because if we appreciate the context, we will learn to appreciate the interpretation. So watch this. Paul is writing to a church that's filled with spiritual giftedness, but they are lacking in spiritual understanding. They have been blessed with the Holy Ghost power, but are rendered impotent and immature because they have no real sense of holy purpose. 
you could be blessed with the ability to speak in tongues and lose all sense of true power because you don't understand the purpose of the tongue that you've been blessed to speak with. You could be blessed with the ability to do miracle signs and wonders, but you could be rendered still immature in light of the fact that you have the capacity, in this case, the Corinthian brethren had the capacity to perform miracles, but they could be, they could be powerless even though they have Holy Ghost power because they don't understand heavenly purpose. So if you aren't using the gift for the purpose of which the gift was given, I'm telling you there is a power that's lacking behind it and it's a true telltale sign of spiritual immaturity. So Paul is writing to a church who has these things but they are lacking in power, they are lacking in spiritual understanding, they are immature all because they do not recognize nor do they have a sense of understanding truly the Holy Spirit nor do they truly understand the purpose to which they have been given this gift. They are part of the body but they do not truly understand how the body functions. So Paul begins to address some things in his lead up to chapter 13. I could go all the way from chapter number 1, but let me take you back to chapter number 11. In the lead up to where he is in chapter number 13, he, he starts to address some things and point some things out all the way back in chapter number 11. In chapter number 11, from about verse number 23, Paul starts to address the issue of the Lord's Supper. And he recognizes that they were not partaking of the Lord's Supper in, in a good manner. And he identifies that he said, some of you are coming, uh, and when you are coming with your bread, you're eating the bread, and you're not waiting for the people who, don't, who didn't come with bread. Some of you have come with the wine, and you're drinking the wine so much so that you're getting drunk, and you're not even waiting for the assembly to gather together. And he, he takes the opportunity from about verse number 23 onward of 1 Corinthians chapter number 11 to give them an outline an expose as it were as to what Christ had given to him and what he is now given to the church. He said from about verse number 23, for I've received of the Lord that which I also delivered unto you at the Lord Jesus Christ on which in the night in which, which he was betrayed he took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is broken for you. Do this he says in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup after he had sipped a little bit saying this is the new testament of in my blood. This do in remembrance of me as often as you you drink it, do so proclaiming the Lord's death till he comes. But then he would go on and he would say these words, but let a man first examine himself. And so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup for he that eateth and drinketh unworthily. Watch that word for a little bit. He said, he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself. I could tell you, if for, for, for most of you here that grew up in the, in, 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 in the 80s and the 90s and the early 2000s, you, you recognize there was a point in time where we took this verse to say that if you didn't pray the prayer just before you, you partook of the communion, you probably weren't worthy to take the communion. Any, anybody here grew up in the 60s and the 70s? You, you, you remember that theology that you had to say this kind of sinner's prayer before you, you took the communion just to make sure that you were worthy to partake of the unleavened bread and the fruit of the vine because you didn't want to bring condemnation or damnation? Anybody here? I, I grew up in the 80s, so I could tell you there, there was a theology that, that dictated that our ability to partake of the unleavened bread meant that we were sinless. 
Whereas what Paul is really using the word unworthy here has nothing really to do with the, with the idea of sin being present because why would we have need, needed Christ if we were perfect beings? And this is not to give excuse or leeway to the person who is living laden and, and, and living a life that's dedicated to sinful living and ungodliness. That's not it. But I want to suggest to us that when he uses the terminology here, worthy, what he is actually referencing later on is the fact that they were eating something they, they didn't fully understand. They didn't understand, nor did, did they discern what the body was really all about. That has a reference to two things. Number one, they don't understand that the, the unleavened bread represents the body of Christ. That's number one. But number two, they don't even appreciate nor understand that the body also is a reference to the assembly of the saints. So Paul does some things here really quickly. In chapter number 11, he, he wants them to understand that they did not discern the importance of the communion in light of the body. Watch this. Then in chapter number 12, he wants them to recognize that they did not discern the spiritual gifts in light of the body. What happened in chapter number 12, you remember on last week? And I'm, I'm running through this really quickly because I really want to get to my main points here. Remember on last week, we went to 1 Corinthians chapter number 12, and he, he spoke about the fact that everybody has been gifted or given various types of gifts. There were various types of administrations. There were various types of ministries, but he said there is but one spirit, one Lord, and God who had established everyone. And then he goes on to give a reference as he talks about, for as the body is one, talking about the physical body, but he is making a comparative statement aligning the physical human body with the church or the assembly of the saints. He says, for as the body is one, but has many, several members, right? And so he wants them, as he gets to chapter number 12, he wants them to recognize that in as much as you are the body, part of the reason why we're having some issues is because you have been given some gifts and God has placed you in a body that you have yet to truly discern. So if you don't discern the value and the importance of the body, if you don't discern the purpose of the gift, then how could you perform and function in a way that you are supposed to within the confines of the body that God has made you a part of? So in chapter number 11, I know this might be some heavy stuff. In chapter number 11, they didn't discern the importance of the communion, the unleavened bread and the fruit of the vine in light of the body. Some people were coming and they were eating and drinking and they weren't waiting on anybody. So he said they didn't discern the communion in light of the body. In chapter 12, they didn't discern the spiritual gifts and its purpose in light of the body. But then he makes his way to chapter number 13. You guys with me now? We, we, we made our way back into chapter number 13. In chapter number 13, he wants them to discern love or charity and the need and benefit for love or charity, check this, in light of the body. This becomes important because if the church is able to recognize the characteristics of one who is truly walking in love, then what Paul is going on to say in chapter number 14 will stand a better chance not only being heard, but being adhered to and implemented. That is to say, he, 
his hope is that as he builds a case for, for why it is we need to lean in on love and why it is we need to go higher in our understanding and appreciation for the body and not necessarily just the gift, he says, I want you to understand why it's so important for you to recognize the value of this and why it is it's so important for us to be connected in love because I have some things I need to say to you in a few sentences here, here on after that if I lay a proper foundation and you rest on that foundation, you might find yourself not only listening to it, but adhering and making the necessary changes. So in chapter number 14, Paul has to go on and put some things in order. In chapter number 14, Paul has to go on and put some people in check. Uh, he has to talk to some individuals who would be speaking in tongues. He has to talk to some individuals who are prophesying. He has to talk to some women. He has to do several things. But he is hoping that if we see the value and the point of the body, and we see the value and the importance of love, if we rest on the importance and the value of the body, and if we rest on the importance and the value of love, then when it comes time for him as an apostle to put certain things in order, the body would assemble and the body would adhere to what the Holy Spirit has to say. Sometimes the Holy Spirit is calling for change. Sometimes the Holy Spirit is calling for a different type of methodology. Sometimes the Holy Spirit is calling us to do something a little bit different from that which we have been accustomed to. But Paul says, before you do that, I need you to rest in understanding the value and the point of the body. See your function in it and see the importance and value of love. Because if you have unconditional love, you have the capacity thereon to adhere to the will and the way of Almighty God. Watch this. So why, why do you think I've, I've chosen to, to, to kind of tag my exhortation this morning, let's go higher? I, I'm glad you asked. I, I really am. Here's what I want us to appreciate really quickly. Here are some things that Paul wants us to see. Seeing the true nature and purpose of the body should help each member see the importance of being united in spirit and in love. If we see the true nature and purpose of the body, that should help each member see the importance of being united in the spirit and in love. And when we get to that point of truly being united in spirit and in love, here is what this leads to. You guys ready for this? Number one, it leads to a body that is not fragmented by splits in allegiances, but rather an entire assembly who has Christ as their true leader. Don't, don't, don't miss that. It, it, it leads to a body that doesn't live by shades of morality and shades of truth that the world offers, but it leads to a body who operates solely on God's truth and God's truth alone. In other words, you aren't fooled when you hear people in the world speak have truths. You aren't fooled to lean in on that foolishness. You would call foolishness out where foolishness lies. So not because somebody says something nice and, and it sounds kind of good. Listen, kind of good doesn't necessarily mean good. Because if it's half rotten, that means it's probably still half good. But if it's half rotten, it's rotten nonetheless. So he says, when you come to this understanding of being united in spirit and being united in love, we have a church, you have an assembly, you have a body that operates solely, 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 solely on God's truth and not our own. 
You've, you've heard the statement, right? Own your own truth. You've, you, you've heard the statement, right? Live your own truth. You, you, you've heard the statement, right? Truth is subject. You've heard all these statements, right? That you, truth, you have your truth. I, I, need for, I, I need for us to understand there is some truth to that. You might have your truth, but your truth and my truth may not necessarily be God's truth. So if you want to follow the slangs and if you want to follow the culture of living out your truth, I'm telling you, God has always given mankind the free will and the discernment to do just that. But he sets out his truth. He sets out his words. So he sets out his guidelines so that we could follow and walk in his stead. Watch this. When we find ourselves united in the spirit and united by love, it leads to our body, an assembly where each member recognizes the value of each other. And that together we all make up the body of Christ. In other words, you're just as important as I am. And in your eyes, I know I am just as important as you are. And as we recognize how important we are to each other, then we have an assembly that's walking in the love of Christ. This leads to a body that understands that the more excellent way, as Paul would write later on in chapter number 12 and also in chapter number 13, the more excellent way is the way always of love. And that this should always be the place that we operate from. Church, a huge reason why God has gifted us with the gifts he has is so that we can edify and encourage the body. And that's what Paul is trying to drive home when he gets to 1 Corinthians chapter number 13 and 14. Everything that we have, everything that God has gifted to us is meant for us to be a blessing to the body of Jesus Christ. Well, well, Brother Morgan, I thought you've said in time gone by that God has called us to a mission of saving souls. Yes, he has called us to a great commission of going out there and trying to preach the gospel to people who have yet to encounter Jesus. But as far as the assembly is concerned, I need for us to see this. Not every single person will take the occasion and opportunity to evangelize the exact same way. So in other words, not every single person needs to be on the street corner. Not every single person will stand up in a library handing out tracts or handing out... Not every single person will evangelize the same way, but every single person is called to disciple somebody. That just looks different, right? But when it comes to the body, when it comes to the assembly, every single one of us has a particular function that we need to find ourselves operating in, in the assembling of the saints, I didn't say this last week, but this might be a good place to stick this in. I, I, I didn't say this last week because there is one thing to identify a gift church. It's a next thing entirely for, for us to be able to, to see the gift and then allow the gift and the person who has been blessed with the gift to use the gift to the edification of the body and the glorification of God. I know I've said a whole lot without saying a whole bunch, but, but I need for us to see this, that when we recognize the giftedness that people have within the confines of the body, the body must be willing to allow the gift that has been given to that person to be used in a way so that it could edify us and that it could ultimately glorify God. Let me... 
I know we could go to chapter number 14 where the scripture says, let the woman say silence in the church. I wasn't going to touch on that, Sister Lisa. But I need for us to understand that silence there doesn't mean silencing. And I feel a lot of times what we've done is that we've, we've, we've kind of flipped the script. In as much as Paul is trying to help do, these individuals who had the gift recognize purpose, I think oftentimes we have, we have flipped the script to now where people, we are silencing people who, have, who God has blessed with gifts. I just think that once we are united in spirit and once we are united in truth, that God reveals to us the importance and the value of each other and what each other brings to the table as far as the edification of the body, all to the glorification of Almighty God. But watch this as I come to a close. So why go higher, Brother Morgan? Because to go higher means to go deeper. Repeat that one more time. Why? Why is Paul encouraging the saints to, go, to, to find or, or, or walk in the more excellent way that is love? Why is he encouraging them to go higher? It's because, <coughs> sorry, to go higher means to go deeper. Deeper where? Go beyond the shallowness of simply just doing to also being and doing. I think for too long we've, we've, tried, we, we've, we've kind of resolved ourselves to, to finding ourselves feeling righteous when we're doing spiritual deeds. But the true essence of righteousness is not, does not come because we do spiritual deeds. Our righteousness is imputed to us by Jesus Christ himself. So believe it or not, whether or not you want to believe it, you and I are righteous not because of anything we've done. You and I are righteous is because of what Christ has done. Let me repeat that one more time so you could say amen. You and I are not righteous because of anything you and I have done. You and I are not holy because of anything you and I have done. We are righteous and we are holy because of everything Christ has done. You could, say, you could scream amen to that. I want you to, that's a good place to scream amen. So, so hear me when I say this. Oftentimes we, we think that as we do good deeds, our righteous cup is full. But I need for us to see Paul is flipping his script. You don't do good deeds to become righteous. The reason why you do good deeds is because you are righteous. It just oozes from you. So your ability to forgive, it oozes because I have taught you how to forgive. Forgiveness does not come easy. I wish I had. Any, anybody here ever found forgiveness when you first started doing it? The real time you had to forgive somebody? I'm not talking about somebody just, uh, you know, did you a little, a little thing. I know I'm talking about somebody who did you something really, really bad. You, 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 know, you remember that time when you, 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 you had to offer some forgiveness? Tell me if that came easy. When somebody curses you about your mama, and I hope to dear God there are more people here that have not had people curse them out about their mama, but when somebody talks bad to you about your mama, it's really hard for you to smile at them and say, God bless you. When somebody does something to your family or, 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 or they try to do you harm, it's really hard to kneel down on the ground and pray a prayer of blessing. More often than not, we're praying fire and brimstone. God, I pray now that you send your holy angels to, to turn up that house and to rip that man or that woman apart. Whereas God is saying, listen, 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 when they persecute you, pray for them. Love them that despise you and would abuse you. So love really has to be the place that you and I as Christians operate from. Why go higher? Because going higher means going deeper. Why go higher? Because going higher means going closer. 
It means drawing ever closer to the heart and identity and power and presence of Yahweh. So I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, to find a more excellent way of doing things and operating in this world, even though I'm called from the world because I'm trying to draw ever closer in relationship to Yahweh because as I draw ever closer in relationship and knowledge of Yahweh, he teaches me how to reflect that which he has called me to reflect and that's his light. That's his goodness. That's his grace. That's his mercy. That's his love. That's his long suffering. That, that, that's him willing to submit himself even though he had the power not to. To submit himself even to a cross for somebody else that would readily spit in his face. So why go higher? Because going higher means going close. And, and finally, why go higher, Brother Morgan? Because going, going higher means going wider. You need to broaden your scope of operation. You need to broaden your scope of understanding. You need to broaden your scope of thinking. You need to broaden your scope of reasoning. You need to broaden your scope. If you stay too narrow-minded, you might become as these scribes and these Pharisees, but I want you to open your heart, widen your thought processes to what my will and what my purpose is. So in conclusion, church, let me leave this text with you. I want to ask you to stand. I'm, I'm done. I want to ask you to stand. I want to leave this text with you. As Paul continues to matriculate his way throughout the book of, of, of Corinthians, he gets to chapter 16. And as he gets to chapter number 16, he makes his way down to verse 13 and 14. And here's what he says. He says, be on your guard. Stand firm in your faith. He says, be courageous. But if you're reading from the King James, I love the King James on this. He says, quit you like men. <laughs> he says, be courageous and be strong. And then in verse number 14, he says these words, and I pray, hope, and trust that this just settles and sinks into every one of our spirits on this morning. He says, and do everything. Say everything. everything. Do everything with love. Church, as I conclude today, just look to the person next to you and say it with some feeling this time. Know that you have a better context. Say to that person, let's go higher.